Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. Getting bitten by a poisonous snake is not just an individual injury. Rather, it is now recognized as a global health hazard. In fact, the World Health Organization estimates that between 80,000 and 136,000 people die from snake bite each year. To put that in perspective, that is more than the number of people who die from meningitis and within the range of the number of people who die from measles. Getting bitten by a poisonous snake, or as it is known, snake bite envenoming, is now included in the World Health Organization's list of neglected tropical diseases. On the line with me today is one of the world's leading experts in snake bite, Dr. Gabriel Alcoba. He is a pediatrician who has treated snakebite as a doctor with MSF, or Médecins Sans Frontières, Doctors Without Borders. He is also a public health expert who works with the Geneva University Hospitals. This episode provides a very good introduction to snakebite as a global health problem. You will learn a lot from this episode. I know I did. I came into this episode probably like you with very little information about snakebite. I did not even know the term snakebite envenoming. But I left this conversation with a much clearer understanding and appreciation for how and why snake bite ought to be considered a global health challenge. As regular listeners know, I often use this podcast to shine a spotlight on undercovered global issues, and I think this certainly fits the bill. Let me know what you think of this episode. You can hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg or reach me via email using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. I, I do love hearing from you and hearing what is on your mind. And now here is my conversation with Dr. Gabriel Alcoba of MSF and the Geneva University Hospitals. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Have you ever been bitten? No, luckily not. I've, seen, I've been very close to, to a king cobra in uh, Myanmar. Burma, uh, which was very impressive, a three-meter king cobra, which is practically the largest venomous snake and one of the most dangerous. But it was close. I was Luckily, I was coming out of a temple. I was barefoot, and I just had time to go into the car, and all our colleagues were shouting, king cobra, king cobra, and the king cobra disappeared. But I've seen a lot of patients, unfortunately, in the, in the hospitals in South Sudan, in Nagok. We we're working in a large hospital um, in South Sudan that receives uh, about 400 uh, snakebite victims every year, especially during the snakebite season. It's a bit like malaria. It's during the rainy season. Um, and also in Myanmar and Nepal, 
are working very hard in Cameroon as well. Yeah. So, and in every country, the patients present in a different way. And, so, and, yeah. Can you just like tell me the story of, of a patient that you've treated in, say, South Sudan? Yes. So in South Sudan, I treated a little young boy, about three, four years old. He, he presented his, with his father, and his father described this, this little black snake that had bitten him during the night, and his um, face uh, started swelling and swelling and swelling. And he was nearly choking, actually. Uh, the swelling was really, really large uh, around his face. Luckily, in those days, we had a very polyvalent antivenom that uh, was quite effective. And uh, luckily, the swelling reduced and he didn't choke. His respiratory airways were protected, so he didn't die. A few, few days later, a young girl, 12 year, years old, I think, yeah, 12 years old, arrived. She was still talking and she had some red tears. And suddenly she collapsed and she died of a hemorrhagic shock. And this was uh, likely due to a, to a carpet viper, which is one of the most dangerous uh, vipers in, in Africa. Uh, that cause hemorrhagic shock and uh, coagulopathy. Uh, and, uh, and in Myanmar, I saw quite a lot of uh, Russell viper victims, which is the most common and deadliest uh, snake in, uh, in Myanmar. And they present. Some of them presented without a without a toe. Uh, they were like, uh, most of them were bleeding, especially in the urine, and they they present a kidney failure. So this is a very special type of impact. Most of them are neurological, hematotoxic, cytotoxic. That's really the skin swelling and necrosis and amputation. But there are also other presentations like uh, kidney failure and other presentations. Some cobras are spitting cobras, so they can spit into your eyes and blind you for some time. Luckily, it's not permanent if you if you do something, if you clean it quickly. quickly. So it's um, a very diverse problem, uh, snake bite. Can you like describe the the problem of snake bite, its, its sort of impact, and just kind of maybe run through some numbers if you have them? Yeah, of course, absolutely. Snake bites actually is the consequence of an interaction between humans and snakes, just to make it very simple. Mm-hmm. That's and a good definition. It's as pithy a definition as one one might uh, expect. Yes, exactly. It's a very simple. Uh, then we often see that uh, it's caused by humans going into into the snake territory, and uh, snakes usually don't bite humans. Uh, snake usually bites uh, small animals, rodents, frogs, lizards that they eat, uh, and they also help us balance uh, uh, the, the ecosystem in terms of pests, uh, like preventing typhus and plague and other uh, diseases. Uh, then we talk about snake bite and venoming. In fact, uh, the current uh, WHO term is snake bite and venoming, and all the policies are about snake bite and venoming. How do you spell that? I've never heard of that term. Snake bite and venoming. Hmm. Some people talk about snake bite and venomation as well, but uh, in most recent uh, literature, we speak about snake bite and venoming. The vast majority of victims are. Uh, uh, envenomed by uh, venomous snakes, of course, this is very obvious, and uh, and very few die from non-venomous uh, snake bites. 
And in fact, snakes are found on all continents, uh, uh, from Australia to Sweden, and not only in tropical areas, uh, and uh, often the contact of uh, the consequence of a high contact between humans and snakes. Uh, and where risk factors are very common. And risk factors are often linked to poverty, but not always. But some of the typical ones are barefoot, being barefoot, uh, some types of habitats, uh, some types of farming, uh, flooding, displacements, uh, very often linked to demographics and poverty and density of population and density of snakes. Not only diversity of snakes, but also density of snakes. Hmm. So, um, so do we know like rough so so the world health organization collect rough estimates of the number of people for example who are like killed by snake bite and venoming exactly so the the current estimations are about five million people being bitten every year and of those about two million are envenomed and actually um between 80 and 136 thousand die every year on top of that we estimate about 400,000 people plus are disabled or amputated uh, due to a snake bite. So this is a, quite a huge burden. Can you uh, maybe put that into context in terms of like how that compares to other exactly. kind of disease yeah, burdens yeah. Uh, around the world? So roughly we're talking about 100,000 snake bite deaths. And this is very comparable to very severe epidemics of measles, meningitis, and much more than Ebola uh, every year, mm-hmm. which is something quite impressive, actually, when, when, when you put it in perspective. And it also is mainly affected very impoverished people, so they have a kind of a double burden, and that's why we talk about neglected tropical diseases. It's always affecting the poorest of the poor, uh, voiceless communities, the most remote communities most of the time, and uh, um, very often rural, not urban, so not visible, not rich, not influential. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, I just want to emphasize that that, that basically the number of people who are killed by snake bite each year is roughly equal to the number of people who die from measles every year. uh, Depending on the estimates, uh, measles is a tiny bit more, possibly Mm -hmm. uh, around 200,000, but it's uh, comparable. the current estimates of snake bite are between 80 and 136,000, mm-hmm. but it could be beyond that. And mm-hmm. this is absolutely comparable, and it's more than the current meningitis uh, estimates. Uh, meningococcal uh, meningitis is killing less than 100,000. And this, and actually, these two diseases are really. Um, Coming down thanks to thanks to vaccination. Uh, I mean, thanks to the huge efforts. Despite some rebels around the world, yeah. uh, we've seen fantastic successes um, in terms of reduction of uh, measles, meningitis, and other uh, vaccinable infectious diseases. Whereas ah. snake bite has never been considered as a, as an infectious disease. It's not an infectious disease, and it has never been really um, tackled as a tropical disease by the whole international community. It has always been uh, considered as a neglected tropical disease, and we've been advocating very much for the past uh, 
let's say 20 years our group has been very involved and uh, now personally has been very involved for the past five years in raising the awareness not only about snakebite but also about the lack of antivenoms and the lack of uh, adequate antivenoms so yeah so you know it's often said that like neglected tropical diseases are diseases of of poverty uh and you know what's interesting to me is like snake bite on the one hand almost seems like it's a you know it's a disease of, of like accident right like you accidentally mm-hmm. um you mm-hmm. know come into contact with a snake that bites you and you get your leg amputated off it's sort of like a chance occurrence but what you seem to be suggesting to me is that there are kind of like structural factors that increase the chances of that happening and Absolutely. poverty is like one of those structural factors like if you don't have shoes um and you step on a snake chances are you're more likely to be you know envenomed by that snake if you're not wearing shoes um, so yes, can you, I guess, like talk about some of those structural factors that increase the risk of individuals from like dying or being severely harmed by snake bite? And maybe like just talk through some like examples from around the yes. world uh, based on your own there, research and your own experience. There are quite a few examples um, within our research group. And I, I, I currently work in Cameroon and Nepal and South Sudan. And um Really, um, some of our colleagues have published very interesting data on structural factors that really are risk factors for snake bites. And it includes uh, not having a mosquito net. It includes not having uh, rapid transport to, to get to the closest hospital that has antivenom. And actually, the odds ratio in studies by uh, Professor Chapuis and Sanjib Sharma in Nepal have really showed uh, very high odds ratios for uh, not having rapid transport, not having uh, mosquito nets. And other studies have showed, and all studies actually, all our studies have showed that uh, being barefoot is a risk factor because most of the bites are on the foot. Depending on the country, between 60 and uh, 80% a bit on the foot, the ankle or the lower part of the lower limbs. Uh, so it's uh, quite, uh, quite structural, quite related to structural issues. It's also related to the fact that uh, hospitals have not been uh, provided antivenom, but also that the training to tackle snake bite, which is a scary emergency, uh, has not been provided in medical school or nursing school or at community health worker level. Uh, in most of these Asian and African countries that are the most affected, uh, simply because it's not really part of the curriculum in, in many of these uh, trainings, uh, despite the fact that it creates a lot of uh, death and disability, and, and uh, including PTSD, also psychological impact. Uh, so um, I think there's also a kind of taboo related to that now that's uh, i think is, is a it's a scary topic that people are not always ready to talk about and it's also a little bit linked to the fact that the pharmaceutical industry has not invested so much and that's so if you don't have a good product to to tackle the snake bite you cannot really feel very efficient so it creates some frustration amongst clinicians uh, and also us i mean amongst us as uh, doctors without borders working in the in the field and our colleagues also you know uh, geneva university 
hospital projects. Um, really, it's very frustrating sometimes uh, not to have the perfect product that you can use to treat all the all the snake bites. So, so, so what are the products? Multi, so, multi, it's multifactorial, actually. Yeah. So, so as I said before, really to to summarize, it's affecting the poorest of the poor, often very remote communities, often rural, often not visible or influential, and it doesn't travel to the north either. It's not like Ebola that creates a huge scare because it's infectious, contagious, and travels by plane or to the north uh, to, to richer countries, so it can be a bioterrorism threat, etc. Mm -hmm. This is quite a hidden uh, catastrophe yeah. in, the remote, in the remote areas. Uh, and mean, the, as I said, the investment by pharmaceutical industry, but also partly also the academics and the donors in general haven't invested enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm speaking to you from a region in the United States that does have snake bite, has rattlesnakes. And, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. and, and there's, yeah. uh, you know, I went hiking, you know, uh, last year and in that same path, someone was bitten and died from a rattlesnake. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it does affect everywhere, but presumably the healthcare system we have here in, you know, Colorado is, um, you know, stronger and, and, you know, the hospitals yes. are stocked with the proper antivenom. Yeah, but even in Colorado, I mean, to my knowledge, uh, snake antivenom is extremely expensive. It could cost you up to $10,000. If you're not insured, it's a catastrophic expenditure. Um, it's, it's also a problem in the U.S., even if you have... Few tens of, of uh, deaths uh, per year. Um, it's also a huge problem. It's, it's not. There's no equality. <laughs> I think it's. It's a, This is a very universal problem. The, the cost of antivenom, the access to antivenom, is very very difficult. So so let's talk about cases. that. Is, mm -hmm. is the access to antivenom the mm -hmm. reason? that people who are bit, say, you know, in Nepal or in Cameroon, mm -hmm. where you work, die? Is, mm -hmm. is, is it as simple as that? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's not mm -hmm. as simple. It's a it's very simple. complex issue. It's, it's multifactorial, and it's an accumulation of disasters. <laughs> um, it's the, the, the factors that I said before in terms of I mean, I mean, structural problems, but it's also a question of product quality or product effectiveness or clinical efficacy uh, potency of the product and um, cost of the product and also toxicity of the products some products uh, are very well designed and are absolutely effective against a wide range of snakes and in some countries we have very good products that are covering all the snake uh, venoms so they can neutralize all the snake venoms so some in some places it's not a question of quality in other places it's a question of quality simply because they're produced uh, from from equine serum you know from horse serum so then it has to be purified, fractions, but you're still injecting uh, a host product, which is similar. I mean, let's say that it's also the case for rabies or for tetanus or for uh, diphtheria. Uh, these um, antitoxins um, are, are quite um, have quite a few side, side effects, like uh, anaphylactic shock, but also serum sickness. These are side effects that can be potentially. Um, Deadly. So, what are some of like the the policy solutions <laughs> that could significantly reduce 
this burden of, of death and disease from snake bite. I mean, it, it sort of sounds like a lot of the solutions that you're sort of um, hinting at in terms mm-hmm. of better quality of medicine um, is something mm-hmm. that's very similar to the other to other neglected tropical diseases. It's just a situation yes. where you have, like pharmaceutical companies don't see incentive to create quality medicines because it's not a big money maker for them. Uh, it's Absolutely. not because, you know, mm-hmm. the people who are sickened by this are not wealthy. And just like in general, like globally, like not a lot of people are, are sickened. Yeah. So I think for the moment, um, snakebite is seen as a relatively complex challenge. Um, and this was the case until recently. Uh, and we were very happy to welcome uh, WHO's initiative um, and all the member states that uh, started working on the roadmap and uh, this snake bite and venoming uh, roadmap is practically a reality now there is a strategy and just needs to be implemented in some places as i said before the situation is extremely complex because you have multiple snake species which uh, create multiple different types of syndromes you know some of them cause just uh, swelling, necrosis, and shock. Others cause uh, coagulopathy, you can bleed uh, to death, and others uh, paralyze you. So in some places, it's a question of recognizing which type of uh, symptoms you have, and then you can adapt the antivenom because you know that if you are paralyzed, it's a cobra, for instance, uh, and you can use the anti-cobra antivenom. In other places, it's much more complicated because several species can cause several uh, overlapping symptoms syndromes so that's one of the things in other places they have polyvalent antivenoms that cover all the species and so i think uh, for those the the strategy is quite straightforward and one of the main uh, topics are um, one of the main objectives are uh, to accelerate access to to, to antivenom, access to training, access to good epidemiological data to, to be able to map the hotspots because it's quite uh, patchy sometimes um, and uh, to support member states, government, institutions, academic research and uh, pharma industry to, to have uh, perfect access to adequate antivenom. Uh, in other sides, uh, in other countries, I think the, the the strategy will not be as easy. It will be it will be hindered by many, as you said before, structural problems, but also by conflict. Uh, unfortunately, in some of the countries where we see a lot of snake bite are conflict countries, like uh, uh, currently, like in South Sudan, like in Central African Republic, like in Yemen, we, we are seeing a lot of a lot of snake bite uh, victims. Um, so in those countries, it will take not only uh, medical research and medical efforts and uh, medical policy, but it will be a much more uh, global policy. Um, then, so we, the roadmap uh, currently states to, I mean, to accelerate global efforts and provide coordination to control uh, snake bite and venoming. So that's very broad, you know, ensuring quality and safety of antivenoms and other treatments and prioritization of high impact inter- interventions. This is, let's say, the strategy. And uh, then you have uh, others that are very, very important as well in terms of technical cooperation, um, 
um, exchange of uh, data between institutions, research institutions, to make everything a bit open access, to have uh, common methodologies to, to measure uh, snake bites. Uh, um, very few maps exist. We are currently working on mapping snake bites because very few mm. countries have been completely mapped, and it's not like measles, meningitis, HIV, or Ebola, where it's a, it's um, it's one disease with one pathogen. Uh, here we're talking about uh, several diseases, in fact, uh, paralysis, the hemorrhagic shock, etc., and several snake species, hundreds of snake uh, snake species, and um, making having a common policy for all of that um, demands quite a, a multidisciplinary team. We're also working on uh, one health approach, you know, including veterinarians, ecologists, uh, people who really understand. Uh, the behavior of snakes and uh, uh, the impact on animals mm-hmm. uh, who are also bitten. So this gives you a little bit the flavor of all the problems, and it's also yeah. an economical problem. So some some people just go into debt because they've been bitten by a snake, but one of their family members has been bitten, has lost a limb or has died, and then they cannot work. Uh, they're, they're losing all their, all their salaries. So this is um, yeah, quite I mean, a it, multidisciplinary approach. It, it, it's sort of like, you know, in mm-hmm. a, like as, as you said, it's, it's interesting that it is now more and more becoming like part of the vernacular of, of, of global health is, is snake bite mm-hmm. and snake bite and venoming. Um, whereas it, you know, previously it really wasn't seen as like a global health issue. Um, but yes. I think for all the reasons you describe, it's becoming, you know, a, a little bit more in sort of the mainstream of, of, uh, global health professionals. I also see it as a huge uh, challenge because we, we are facing a multi prong problem. Um, and luckily, I mean, I think we are very happy now because, uh, WHO has, done a fantastic work on the roadmap, also working on evaluating new antivenoms. There is an ongoing evaluation of antivenoms to one day to have a real pre-qualification system for all antivenoms, so to have a kind of quality control for all of them. And then we hope that WHO will implement as well with the help of partners, maybe like us, the Doctors Without Borders and Global Snake Bite Initiative and other partners to work on a um, on a common stockpile or a revolving fund, the different policies to provide antivenom. Like in Latin America, they have it for vaccines, the PAHO system, where, mm. where you there is a common purchase of vaccines, and this reduces the price. And also the providers, the mm. producers themselves, can, can foresee in advance, let's say yeah. four or five years in advance, so they have a big stockpile, so it's much cheaper to produce. And that's like so a pretty common a, strategy for it's a common um, strategy. Yeah, for, for diseases that are like neglected, that are effective, yeah. or you have like these kind of group purchasing power. Exactly. So I was mentioning the Latin American um, project, uh, let's say, purchase system, um, which is, in fact, quite sustainable, but each uh, member state has to pay a certain fee to purchase this. In other countries, and I'm thinking of conflict-affected countries like South Sudan, Central African Republic, and others, uh, for the moment, I think it's uh, maybe a little bit complex, and uh, we, we are also um, looking at other types of systems, like, uh, like uh, some revolving funds and uh, sponsored um, 
stockpiles where emergency orga organizations like International Red Cross, uh, NSF, and uh, ICRC, and others are participating uh, to having this uh, common stockpile with WHO and UNICEF and to provide it in case of emergencies. And in some cases, we are seeing uh, snake bites emergencies, I mean, like epidemics, like the one I witnessed in South Sudan in 2014, it was practically a real epidemic. We were seeing three patients per day. Um, and in Kenya, currently, there's, a, there's one in Baringo State, and we saw uh, quite a lot of snake bats uh, all of a sudden in Central African Republic and Ethiopia, among farmers. And it, we would like to understand a bit better how to predict this, to have real models, and this is part of my, my work with my research team at the University of Geneva on predictive models, predicting um, snake bite hotspots with uh, satellite imagery, several layers, the ecology, the human density, the human activity, etc. to have something much clearer to, to read, to focus, to target, like some other groups have done for other neglected tropical diseases like schistosomiasis and other parasites. And, uh sleeping sicknesses etc <laughs> well well gabriel thank you so much for your time this was very uh helpful and you know i, I came into this conversation with like very low information uh, about snake bite and i didn't even know the term snake bite envenoming until he's talked and <laughs> I, i've learned yeah. a lot from you i suspect those listening have as well so thank you these medical terms are changing all the time yeah. <laughs> all right. thank you very much thank okay. you very much for your interest and your time All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Dr. Gabriel Alcoba. That was absolutely fascinating. I did not know much about snakebite going in, as I said, and now I feel like I have a pretty decent grasp of why it ought to be considered a global health issue. Um, one last uh, request. Please do leave a review of the show on iTunes if you have not done so already. It's a great way of helping to increase the exposure of the show among people who are looking for foreign policy and world affairs show. If you do leave a review on iTunes, let me know. You can send me an email to let me know that you, left, that you have left a review, and I will send you a sticker in the mail if you're in the U.S. or Canada, or uh, I will send you some digital goodies uh, as a thank you. I will right, we'll see you next time. Bye.